Welcome back to another episode of Bitfinex Talks. I'm your host, Ricardo Martinez. Today, I am here with Seraphim, who is the DeFi expansionist for the Lido DAO. Uh, Seraphim, thank you for coming on the show. How are you this afternoon? Hey, I'm great. How about you? Doing good. Thank you. Um, I'm really happy to have you on Bitfinex Talks today because I wanted to talk to you about Lido. Uh, I understand that when Ethereum's merge went down, it was a huge success, but Lido was kind of born out of a necessity to address some issues, I guess you could say, with Ethereum staking. Can you kind of go over how um, Lido was was born and, and the conditions which spawned the Lido protocol? Sure, yeah. So, uh, yeah, basically before Chappella, what we had is a situation where you could not unstake your ETH once you staked it. You had to wait all the way till this particular update to do it. And... Some guys uh, figured, why not create a liquid version of that staked ETH so you could kind of sell it in case you don't want to have it anymore and not wait all the way to the update. And kind of uh, that's how Lido was born. It was born from a necessity for people to be able to sell their staked ETH while at the same time preserving the um, decentralization ethos because at the time, most people don't remember, it was completely dominated by centralized exchanges like Binance, Kraken, Coinbase. And that was an attempt to take away yeah. power from them. So, yeah. But you, I guess your question is, how does that change oh, now? Yeah, well, that's going to be a follow-up question. But uh, one question I wanted to ask is, like, during that time, before the Chappella upgrade, and you couldn't actually unstake your ETH, how were you guys at Lido dealing with, um, like, when people use the staked ETH token on DeFi and, like, say they lose it in a trade or something, if that ETH doesn't move... Like how 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 would the staked ETH like represent the the ETH that was lost like to a to a different platform? I guess. Do you mean cases when? Oh, you mean when staked ETH was sent to like the wrong address or like just burned or something? Well, no, I mean like let's say let's say I I was on like a a dex and making a trade and like I lost like I lost my balance. I made a bad trade. That staked ETH now belongs to that platform, right? So, like, what happens to the physical ETH that was like, or I mean, not physical ETH, but the actual ETH that was staked uh, in in Lido? Well, I would imagine it's still in the uh, it's still in Lido protocol. It's being used by node operators to validate the blockchain still. So, uh, staked ETH is just like an IOU on that ETH, which is stays there regardless of who has it at the time. Uh, okay, so if like the un other owner came like after the Chappella upgrade, like. The, the new owner of the staked ETH, they could redeem that ETH like as the original owner would have been able to do? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. So it's just you, you basically get staked ETH as a claim on that ETH. So, yeah, if you are uh, before Chappella, you took someone's staked ETH and then after Chappella, you would use that staked ETH to get the first guy's ETH back. So, yeah. Nice. Um, okay. And then how does how does that change now that the Chappella upgrade um happened like how does the Lido protocol change so actually adoption increased by a lot people started staking uh much more than we expected um the reason is well i think a couple of reasons but the battle tested nature of lido uh is great we implemented withdrawals which means you can stay stay unstake right and on like almost the same day celsius decided to withdraw 800 million bucks worth of ETH. they did it in I think one transaction that was really successful. So it just battle tested the withdrawal pretty well. So people got comfortable with that. 
also your okay. investment profile is much more predictable because before you didn't know are you going to see your ETH in two years or like one year and now you know you can withdraw it pretty much in a matter of days so it, it's just much more predictable so people started to stake a lot more and price volatility decreased as well because before you you would have state you trading at like a couple of basis points uh discounts during volatility and now it's like a really good arbitrage to just buy it cheap because you can easily withdraw you know uh, I was a little surprised, actually. Uh, after the Chappella upgrade, people were predicting that there was going to be a massive withdrawal of, of staked ETH. And what we actually saw was that it increased, like you said. Do you think that's because institutional investors pay for staking their ETH, knowing that they could get back like whenever they wanted now? I think so. I think the more kind of risk-averse people and OG whales that have lots of ETH lying around there just started to get more comfortable, knowing that they can withdraw uh especially with celsius doing it they're like okay now i can do it too for sure so um i think that's definitely what led to it okay cool during our spaces you mentioned lido version two can you speak about that a little bit for us yeah so lido v2 was implemented alongside the withdrawals so uh lido v2 is basically the withdrawal feature um okay. and also the staking route the staking router allows you to sort of create uh, different logic for node operators within Lido. So it's like you can have different modules and each module can have a different set of node operators or a lot different logic by which they operate. So uh, for example, you can have a module that has DBT or a module where you can have the same kind of bonding stuff you have with Rocket Pool within Lido, or you can have NFT gated community within that module. So you can kind of have different logic for node operation, but the most important thing is that it allows thousands of new node, op node operators to potentially join NIDO instead of the current 29 node operators. Like if I wanted to run my own node, like what, what like threshold is there for me to like enter as a node operator? Well, at the moment it, it would have to be a DAO vote. So you would have to have uh, like the bar is very high. You have to, be able to manage lots of ETH uh, with sufficient uptime, not being slashed, uh, being sufficiently geographically. Um, um, so we're trying to take away, the DAO is trying to uh, diversify away from America and Europe for regulatory reasons as well, just in case. Uh, not running ideally on cloud, I believe, is one of the criteria. So now it's pretty strict. We're hoping down the line, you'll be able to join almost permissionlessly pretty much with, uh, let's say, uh, a bond of some sort. You could just join okay. without. Uh, if I met those criteria currently and I wanted to become a node operator, like what do I have to do? Like make an application with the DAO or something like that? Yeah, there's an application form. Uh, I would advise to speak to the node operator team. Easy uh, is, is leading it. But generally, once you fill it out, it goes to the DAO. And actually, we just had a wave of onboarding right now. We're adding at least two new guys. We had like 114 or 40 applications or something. So um, it goes. Okay, yeah, that was going to be my question: Is have you seen a lot of demand yeah. for this? Yeah, so yeah. much demand, it's crazy. Because when you think of it, it's a great. Well, you're giving up things, something to get something. When you're a node operator, and you're under Lido, you're kind of commoditized a little bit because, uh, well, you don't have to work too much because the reward, you know, the, the transactions just go through Lido. But it does commoditize mm. you as a node operator in a way. So uh, it's a kind of a trade-off. And But lots of people like the fact that we can capture more rewards uh, than other protocols. So it's 
it's a good idea to join the Lido protocol because of that. So we had lots of applications. Cool. And then like you mentioned that you wanted to become like kind of a, a permissionless thing. Like what's the roadmap to, to reach that point? Yeah. So at the moment we have uh, test nets with SSV and OBOL about DBT. So to allow people mm -hmm. to kind of, uh, uh, well, DBT is like a, it's it's not necessarily allowing permissionlessness per se as the only thing, but it's important. Uh, so we're having test nets there. Um, there's a couple of modules that are being experimented on where you have like a bonding requirement. So it's just basically test net at the moment on different modules. I think within a year we can launch some of these modules and allow people to kind of just start to onboard them. But I think thousands of okay, node cool. operators, that's a two to three year um, time horizon. Once you have all all these different node operators, like how is that? That's obviously going to improve the resiliency of, of Lido. What other advantages will it will it give the protocol? Sense of security will increase, I guess. Uh, if you have a module run by DVT where there's essentially a multi-sig, one node operator can't mm -hmm. screw everyone up. It has to be uh, done by everyone. Um, I think that's one thing. Then uh, just being in line with the ethos of Ethereum is important as well. Um, because, uh, yeah, there's been concerns, obviously, about LIDARs being too large or LIDARs being uh, too um, pr predominant. And we're trying to address this by decentralizing and stuff. Um, yeah. Okay. So, like, basically, in, bit, in the Bitcoin world, in the proof-of-work mining world, people complain about the mining pools being, like, too centralized. So you guys are receiving a similar criticism for being too large as, as one of the largest staking pools? Yeah, I guess it's just, uh, well, the thing is with staked ETH, at least the thing about how um, the node operation happens is it's much more decentralized in a way that it's all on chain. It's guided by smart contracts that you can verify. And what really LIDAR can only do at the moment is just um, socialize rewards and risks. We can't at the moment say these transactions we don't like. We're not gonna we're gonna ban them. You have to have all the node operators collude together, which they can do outside of Lido. Nothing stops them, right? Um, yeah. And that's why it's like it's not like Lido. Lido could have a governance vote, perhaps that would say something like that, and that's being um, tackled by dual governance. But once dual mm -hmm. governance is it, stake team holders would actually literally have to say, okay, from now on we're gonna have uh, OFAC kind of regulation stuff which we i don't want and i think is not going to happen because it's like it's not lido it's you have to there has to be a huge amount of voting going on for that to happen you know okay yeah no that was going to be a question that i was going to ask is like to me it seems like censoring certain transactions is undesirable in terms of decentralization so i was going to ask if that's like a desired thing in, in your point of view no i mean uh, there's um so I don't think it is desirable. And I think the moves done through permissionlessness is also to address that, basically. So if you have many node operators and some of them are in countries that, let's say, outside of the United States, which don't have to um, follow the rules of the United States, mm. that makes it more likely that these transactions will come through. No, it's not as, uh, it, it, it's not like it's black and white. Obviously, uh, some of the, some, some Lido, um, Node operators, for example, we use MEV Boost, which is done by Flashbots, which has a policy around these things. But still, the idea, overarching idea, is basically to have as decentralized a node operator set as possible, to have 
decentralized uh, number of relays as well that transmit transactions um a bunch of things that will not lead to a situation where something gets censored just on the basis of some rules okay cool Earlier today, when we were speaking in the spaces, you were discussing some of the concerns that institutional investors had, and I wanted to kind of get into that a little bit. First of all, can you tell us like what concerns these investors have as far as using decentralized uh, liquid staking, like Lido? Yeah, I think it's first. There's broad points about just DeFi in general that is hard for them to grasp. Um, smart contract risk. What is where's the yield coming from? Is it some Ponzi-nomics of some sort? So it takes a long time to get there to explain. Uh, that's one thing. Okay. I feel like Lido is best positioned for it because what they really like is the liquidity. They like that it's battle, battle tested and that you have high rewards. And I think Lido could actually be probably, if the one protocol is able to penetrate institutional stuff, it's basically Lido. Um, protocol specific stuff, I guess, is dual, some brought up dual governance. Uh, the idea that Lido token holders could vote on something that state holders would not like, and that's also being tackled um, in, the com- in the coming months. Uh, but generally, I mean, the, the, the idea of like rules around staking at the moment and regulations is like non-existent, really. There is no, uh, there are no rules at the moment, basically. But still, lots of these institutions do hold Bitcoin or Ethereum, right? Even though they are permissionless assets and don't censor transactions in some form, right? So clearly, they can we can find a middle ground with a lot of these guys, just even though yeah, like a happy medium. Yeah, so yeah, okay. uh, that's what we're trying to do, to not sell ourselves, but at the same time try to promote uh, DeFi and permissionlessness through institutions. That's probably the next biggest market for for DeFi. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I want to get back to something you actually just mentioned between the Lido token holders making decisions in the DAO that stake death holders uh, may not approve of. I wanted to know, like, how how were the Lido tokens distributed, and aren't most like stake death holders Lido token holders as well? I think a lot of them. So at least the guys. So there's a bunch of VCs, there's a bunch of angels, there's a bunch bunch of community people involved. I th- as far as I'm concerned, most guys have, they have lighter tokens, substantial amounts, do stake as well. Mm. So that is the case. But obviously, at this point, um, Lido's market cap, let's say, is at one and a half billion, but there's 15, 15 billion uh, ETH staked into Lido. So there's obviously a lot more staked ETH than uh, Lido token holders at the moment. And that's okay. where this concern comes from in a way that you have so many more people staking than actually holding the Lido token, which is fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, I just figured like most most of the people that were using the protocol were also Lido token holders and that it, they wouldn't be incentivized to go like, against their own interests, I guess. Like they wouldn't go against economic interests maybe, but they could go against yeah. potentially ideological things, you know, that most stake teeth holders wouldn't like, you know. Okay. What what kind of decisions uh, do, do the DAO participants decide upon? Like what kind of proposals have been put forth uh, so far? Yeah, a couple. Um, I think Lido V2, uh, DAO vote, uh, like huge updates, uh, allocation of rewards to committees, um, stuff like reward share agreements. So like something that we could potentially do a bit for next, for example, is... Um, you provide stake team as a service to your wallet clients and we share rewards 
and that can be done on a DAO basis. That's because it was voted on, for example. Um, yeah, stuff like that, basically. Creating um, a lot of some stuff is delegated. There's committees for a bunch of things like allocating rewards, for example, is actually allocated to a committee doing that. Or, But essentially, what's nice about LIDO is all, all the governors actually on chain. There isn't a snapshot of vote and an off chain vote for a multi sig. It's actually on chain, but by Aragon. So we, at Lido and Aragon built something together that would make it completely on chain. So it's um, it's different from any other, I think, protocol out there, especially OST protocols. You are obviously like a participant in the DAO. You you um, work as part of the team in the DAO. Um, how do people join the DAO? How do they become participants? How can, like if I wanted to get involved in the Lido project, how would I do so? Depends on which capacity, I suppose. Uh, if you wanted to do stuff that I do. Um, so there's someone appointed by the DAO as a head of, uh, I think we're calling it Pro protocol relations now. It used to be called BizDev. Um, and uh, from there, it's like, it's kind of like a subcommittee in a way. And you just ping that person and say, can I contribute to something like that? And it's kind of a, it's, it's not really like a proper employment contract. It's more like there's certain deliverables, some ideas you wanted to, some initiatives you want to push, and you can kind of join in a way. Um, so, yeah, I'd say it's more like a performance-orientated, project-based kind of uh, thing where you contact the head, of, the head of the department or subcommittee that was appointed by the DAO, essentially. Can we talk about the, the staked at token now? Um, I know the staked at token is integrated with like a bunch of different like DeFi platforms and stuff like that. Can we talk about the utility of stake death and like where you can use it besides the Lido protocol? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think the biggest avenues according to stats are basically, um, maker. You can use it as collateral to mint die. So that's what people are doing. Um, okay. A big chunk is used for lending it on Aave, and they borrow ETH and they loop that yield. Basically, I see there's a bit of in Libra Finance and smaller protocols, but I think seventy percent is basically making Aave and a bit of uh, oh, and also obviously Curve and Uniswap. These are top. Okay, cool. You mentioned earlier today that the stake death is is more decentralized than wrap death on on other alternatives on centralized exchanges and stuff like that. Can you kind of talk about how stake death is different than those other alternatives? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, like even if you look at, and I know these teams pretty well, they're great and stuff, um, like CBE and Binance E, for example. So there's obviously, I don't think the funds are at risk in any way, but there's obviously some regulatory risk. And that's what people, that's why people have been withdrawing from these platforms and cracking as well, putting them into Lido um because there's this kind of onshore uh, on american exposure that people have mm. and that's why people are withdrawing um into lido from there and uh yeah i think i think from that point of view it's less of um i don't think it's so much of a decentralized it's not like clients care users care so much about decentralization per se they care more about the exposure to the american jurisdiction which is like correlated in a way Lido has no operators in the states, but it has also them in different places. And there's 29 of them, or soon to be more. Whereas in um, CBE, uh, I think I think node operators are pretty spread out, but ultimately the funds, I believe, are still at Coinbase in the United States. You know, so that's what 
the concern is, I suppose. Are you guys concerned about like the seeming uh, shift towards like hostility and regulations, like in the United States and, and Europe? Like, it seems like the regulations have have been really trying to crack down on like um, decentralization, anonymity, uh, DeFi, um, you know, like, things that they can't micromanage. Um, do you see that as like a attack vector, or, like a risk vector for for Lido? Yeah, I think the best way to tackle it is, and that's the spirit of Lido, is to do things that will make it impossible simply to go after Lido to begin with, like things like geo-governance or your node operator set being all, all around the world um, is one of these things where even if someone knocks on the door, we'll be like, we have no, I mean, there's nothing you can do. It's, it's, it's a software, it works just like the internet you can't shut down the internet can you and lido is the same way you can't shut down lido it just doesn't work but it's sufficiently liquid battle tested if you can run uh chain analysis on it you'll say there's barely any kind of like uh, like like dodgy money involved or anything like that you know um yeah so at some point you just at some point it's just like a, a question of there's nothing you can do about it uh and it works it, and it's pretty kosher so you know it was yeah 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 no i understand i i know your use case is very very different than like tornado cash or, or something like that but um that kind of like that incident kind of set a precedent so i was just wondering if like the people in in defi are kind of concerned like as far as like regulations becoming like more restrictive or, or more hostile with lido v2 aside from the the node operation stuff where you're going to be able to um you know have improved nodes and more of them um, what other advantages did the upgrade uh, give to the protocol? Well, the withdraw withdrawals, obviously. So Celsius, as I said, could withdraw like 800 million bucks in one go. Yeah. That was pretty neat. Uh, but I suppose these are the two main updates, really. Staking router and node operator. Uh, and, uh, sorry, staking routes and withdrawals are the main features. Okay, cool. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked you about Lido that is important for our audience to know about? um not really but uh i think yeah i think you ask a lot of good questions um lido generally is like a pretty decentralized DAO in a way so if anyone has any question like you can ping a bunch of people we're happy to help out there's a discord as well uh feel free to follow me on twitter as well and dm me or anything um but yeah so it's, uh, it's always good to chat with the bit for next ogs so <laughs> nice well uh thanks for coming on the show and um my i guess my last question would be um I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it, but I'm going to ask it anyways. How soon can we expect to see Lido on Bitfinex? That's a good question. It's up to you guys. <laughs> yeah, obviously it's up to it's up to you guys basically. But I, I, I've been saying this that Lido down Bitfinex could enter some sort of um, reward sharing agreement where your your users are going to stake and you can get some of that uh, reward back. So it'd be pretty cool. Um, I, I look forward to it. But it's up to you guys, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not the guy that makes that decision, but it sounds exciting. And uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, you mentioned that you had social media, Discord, that kind of thing. Can you give it uh, out, that information, so our audience can follow you if they'd like to? Sure, yeah. Lido, you can find at Lido Finance on Twitter. Me, you can find under Macromate8. That's my handle. So feel free to ping me. Okay, cool. And if I wanted to start staking my ETH, how, how do I... Uh... To it, do I use MetaMask or, or 
yeah, you go on Lido.fi and then you connect to your wallet essentially and just stake straight away. You earn rewards straight away, basically. It's quite neat. Well, it was a pleasure interviewing you and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, man. Go see you soon.